We want to think tonight about big questions about Christianity. A question is a sentence worded or expressed to elicit information. From childhood, we have used questions, especially the question, why? A four-year-old asks 250 questions per day. And you wonder why parents are exhausted by seven o'clock in the evening. One common question in our nation is, how long will the fuel costs remain high? In Northern Ireland, we are asking if Stormont officials will ever return to office. Football fans are asking who will win the World Cup. It's not going to be England, most of them say a little too joyfully. So a question is seeking information. The Oxford Dictionary refines the definition of question when it states a doubt about the truth or validity of something. And it's in this more specific way that we are using the question in this series of talks. We will examine in these studies the doubts which many people have, perhaps yourself included, about some of the claims of Christianity. The assertion that one plus one equals two is not doubted by many people. However, the claim that God exists is questioned by many. A recent poll within the UK indicates that atheism is on the rise in our country. A group known as the New Atheists, led by Richard Dawkins, is having increased influence in our country. In 2022, 45% of Brits describe themselves as atheist or non-religious. Less than 50% claim to be Christian. So in our time, more and more people are questioning the claims of Christianity. This recent poll of UK residents then gives an edge, a reason, a justification for these talks. We're not considering some remote subject, an idea limited to philosophers enclosed in ivory towers, away from the needs, worries, and conversations of common people. We're considering live issues, current ideas, a rising trend in our nation of questioning Christianity. Well, it is wrong for the world, the news, and social trends to set the agenda of the pulpit and determine the series of sermons to be preached by ministers. It is also the duty of preachers to know the issues their congregants are facing, to be aware of the discussions and opinions prevalent in current society, and to address them. However, besides the current religious trend being a reason for this series of talks over the next year, there is the biblical command that we read in 1 Peter 3, 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Being a Christian, if we are a Christian, we ought to be able to defend our position to those who question it. And in these talks, we'll seek to do that. 
I'm more a, a Hebrews-style person. I, I usually, in a series, just jump right in there. But tonight we want to introduce this series of talks on the big questions about Christianity by considering the theme of these talks, the aim of these talks, the methodology I will use, the defense of this series, and then have some application at the end. And by that stage, you'll really really be ready for the refreshments in the hall. Let's think, first of all, of the theme of these studies. The title of this series includes the word big, and that is deliberate. There are many small questions being asked about Christianity. There are many small questions people are asking you about the Christian faith. I think the issue of civil partnerships is a small question. It may be a big question to Jill Scott, the celebrity jungle winner engaged to Shelley Unit in March 2020, or a big question in your life because a family member is seeking a civil partnership. But compared to the question, is there a God? That's a small question. Grace Bible College in Grand Rapids has listed the 20 most commonly asked questions about Christianity. I don't know the criteria they used to determine this list or who the participants were, but in my view, 19 out of the 20 questions are small questions and only one of them would be a big question. The questions that are on their list are issues like female preachers, homosexuality, tattoos, eternal security, interracial marriage, Cain's wife, suicide, pets in heaven, tithing, speaking in tongues, dinosaurs, baptism, alcohol, gambling, the Trinity, sex before marriage, Jesus' location three days before his resurrection, divorce and remarriage. Now in 20 odd years as a minister, I've been asked about all of those questions. But, not the, but they're not the big questions of life. The questions which the masses in Brazil and China and India and the slums of Mexico and Cairo are asking. The only question on their list which qualifies as a big question is, is there life after death? Therefore, the brand of questions that we'll be thinking about in these studies are big questions. And you could probably guess these big questions. You've maybe been asked or are maybe asking these big questions. My source for these big questions is various books and polls that have been taken addressing the top 10 questions people are asking about Christianity. Those lists contain minor differences depending on the age and the culture in which the surveys were done, but generally they contain 10 common questions. So it's those big questions. Questions that have made the top 10 list the most commonly asked questions about Christianity that we're considering. So I'll not be asking and answering the question if your daughter can become a minister in the Reformed Presbyterian Church or if your pet hamster is in heaven. They are small questions. We'll be trying to answer the big questions such as, does God exist? Is the Bible the word of God? 
Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Is there life after death? Such a focus will help some of us keep our small questions in perspective. We can get obsessed with some question, gripped with some question, addicted to researching some question. But sometimes that question that we're obsessed with is insignificant and trivial. It's big to us, but perhaps it shouldn't be. Or maybe we live with our head in the sand and have never asked these questions. We want a quiet life. We don't want to disturb the equilibrium of our mind. But the fact that outside of our own little world, these questions are being asked should make us realize, sit up and think and consider them. This theme should help us then get a proper perspective on the questions that are important and big in our life. More important than getting a pay rise is getting to heaven. More important than knowing if Santa exists is knowing that God exists. More important than knowing if there is life for us after 50 is knowing if there is a life for us after death. Wouldn't you agree? The theme of our studies, big questions. Secondly, the aim or aims of these studies. I have three aims in giving these talks over this year. Three things that I hope will be accomplished in our lives, your lives, through them. One, that you will be convinced. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're a seeker after truth. I hope you will be convinced in these talks. I desire that you'll accept the answers given to these big questions. Perhaps you're a student or a thinker who's dismissed Christianity as a religion for the weak-minded. You think people leave their brain at the door when they enter church. I want to convince you that Christianity is a rational and logical as well as a biblical religion. In these talks, I'll challenge you to provide better answers to these big questions than the answers which Christianity is providing. I hope you'll see the academic weakness, indeed the foolishness and hopelessness of the alternative answers offered to these big questions. One Christian apologist attended lectures in Cambridge University delivered by a leading atheist, Don Cupid. At the end of them, he thought, are those your strongest arguments? My wife Ruth after reading the God delusion, was amazed at the weakness of the arguments set out by the celebrated new atheist Richard Dawkins. Some of us get dazzled or disorientated by the academic qualifications of skeptics like David Attenborough or Brian Cox. We think that they must be right because they have so many qualifications. But a close scrutiny of their arguments, identifies severe failings and hopelessness. Don't let them intimidate you. In these talks, I'll demonstrate that there are robust answers and reasons given by Christianity and Christian apologists 
to these big questions. The brains are not all on the side of Brian Cox. Or maybe you're a seeker. You've been asking some of these big questions and it's a failure to find satisfactory answers for them that is keeping you back from becoming a Christian. I hope these talks will provide answers that will help you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lee Straubel, one of the more readable Christian apologists in our time, has lost count of the number of people who have come to faith through his writings. The Holy Spirit has used his defense of the gospel to bring people to faith. And I hope that God will use these studies to bring people to faith in Jesus. And our congregation is praying for this. So whether a skeptic or a seeker, I urge you that when the truth dawns on you, grips you, when your denials and rejections weaken in the presence of truth, when you realize that what you are hearing is both intellectually robust and existentially satisfying, that you don't turn from it, that you don't go on as an unbeliever. Winston Churchill said, Men, and if he were speaking today, would add woman. Men, he said, stumble over the truth from time to time. But most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. And we urge you not to do that. The truth is too precious, too important, too solemn, too wonderful, too transformational. Firstly, that you will be convinced. A second aim in my talks is that you will be strengthened. Perhaps you are a Christian and these big questions have been asked perhaps by you. Maybe you're asking them now. Perhaps it's surprising to you brought up in an evangelical church that you have ever asked these questions at all. You thought you were firm in your faith but doubts have crept into your life. Maybe you've never spoken of these doubts to anyone not to your elder, not to your spouse, not to your friend, and certainly not to your minister. And I'm not just talking about teenagers. These talks are designed to strengthen your faith, to answer your doubts, to dispel your fears, to confirm you in the way of truth and right. Not only will answering the big questions help us with our understanding of them, but it will also help us answer many of the small questions that come to our life. All of the small questions we ask about ethical issues, civil partnerships, pets in heaven, are only properly answered within the framework of the answers to the big questions. Having filled out our understanding of these big questions, we'll be able to understand the small matters and make better choices in our life. When we're convinced that God exists, that the Bible is God's word, we will better address the question of civil partnerships. The issues around abortion and euthanasia will be better answered in the context of the answer to life after death. A traditional way to build a jigsaw well, in our house anyway, is to begin with the edges and then to fill out the center. 
And the purpose of these talks is to build the perimeter for you to allow you to fill out the space inside. Your opinion on whether a 95-year-old, unbelieving, frail old man should be granted his request for euthanasia will be conditioned by your convictions about the afterlife. J.I. Packer relates the story of locals sitting on a Spanish balcony at the edge of a busy pathway leading into the mountains. The locals would sit on the balcony and discuss the walkers who were passing by. They would comment on their dress, on their fitness, on their nationality, and off the difficulties which were lying ahead of these walkers. The gossips were just spectators. They had never made the journey themselves. But we are not spectators of these big questions. When we ask, is there a God or is the Bible true? We have a vested interest in this subject. We are on this road. They're not academic studies divorced from our lives. We're not considering them on a Sabbath evening to entertain us to try and get more people into our evening service. These answers mean everything to us. Amy Orr Ewing, now a university professor, tells of her father's conversion in his mid-thirties. He went to church, something he hadn't done in a long time, and the preacher said, the only reason you should believe Christianity is because it is true. These talks aim to reinforce our faith by emphasizing the authenticity of Christianity. You're not believing some irrational dogma believed by people who are to be pitied. The third aim is that you'll be equipped. These questions have been asked to many of you. As you have stood at the water cooler in your workplace, Changed in the dressing room in the leisure centre. Jogged with your running club. Gathered with family members from time to time. Or debated with peers in your classroom. I want to supply you with the tools. The weapons to defend the Christian faith. The verses, the arguments for your beliefs. That you may witness with confidence and effectiveness. To those who don't believe and question Christianity. I want you to gain a clear understanding of the biblical texts and then of the rational arguments that support them. I remember as a teenager hearing for the first time it seemed arguments for the existence of God from my Bible class leader. I now know they were the ontological, the teleological, the cosmological arguments, but I found them so helpful for my doubts my questions, and throughout my teenage years and the discussions I had with my peers. And so these talks are to equip you to be better witnesses for Jesus. You will go with these talks to places that I will never go. You will meet people that I will never meet. To be convinced, to be equipped are the aims of these talks. Thirdly, the methodology of these talks. The method I have selected in these talks and which will be followed throughout all of them is to begin with the biblical detail 
progress to the rational arguments and then end with practical implications of the answer given to the big question. We begin with scripture because it is our final authority for what we believe. So in answering the question, is there a God, we will hear what the Bible has to say. This is known among apologists as the presuppositional approach. We come to the big questions with the conviction that the Bible has the answers to these questions. Only after having settled the answer from Scripture will we consider the supporting arguments from reason. I anticipate that in the audiences that will be at these guest services, people will have some knowledge of the Bible. And so in these talks, I will start with the Bible. In my ministry, I have been amazed at how a well-chosen and faithfully explained part of Scripture has answered the objections of doubters. Reasoning or argument was never needed. One lady I met doubted the divinity of Jesus, that he was God, but was amazed by the clear assertions about Jesus' Godhood in the Bible. The Bible's not a textbook but it does contain clear answers to the big questions. But we'll not stop there. We will proceed to employ reason and other disciplines such as history and archaeology and the sciences to support the biblical answer and thereby show how rational and logical the biblical answer is. We will deal with common objections to the answer that we give common statement about Christianity is you don't believe that rubbish do you but in the 21st century now you still don't believe that the Bible is the word of God do you it's full of errors you still don't believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead we'll seek to be as fair as possible to the objection and not claim support from sources that are weak or inaccurate to do that would be to weaken our case. There was discussion about the historicity of the Egyptian soldiers being drowned in the Red Sea. Claim was made that some of the wheels of Pharaoh's chariot were found in the bed of that sea. Ron Wyatt took and circulated photos to this effect. But closer examination of the photos and the seabed indicated that the items were ship debris and not chariot wheels. Maybe as you witness to neighbours or colleagues, you'll begin with their objections and answer them before coming to Scripture. Amy Ewing Orr, director in the Oxford Apologetics Centre, was asked by a student in an aggressive manner in a student's union debate why she was a Christian. Amy had read the New Testament by the age of six. She's now a professor in theology. She was well-versed, is well-versed in the Bible. But she didn't quote John 3.16 and claim she had done what the Bible had asked her to do. That is what she fundamentally believes. That is what she might say to elders interviewing her for membership. But in that context she was in, she said, it is intellectually robust 
and existentially satisfying will not provide all the answers for your skeptical friends in these talks. But you will have solid answers to reply to them and to strengthen your faith. And in moving from the biblical to the rational sphere, we expect agreement. The God who has given us the Bible is also the Lord of history and science. So we would expect confirmation of Bible truth in areas outside of the Bible. Mark Whittleberg rightly claims, all the arrows of science, history, and philosophy point to the truthfulness of Christianity. In our methodology, we will move from Bible to reason to application. We will ask, now what? And so what? How does this truth of Christianity affect my life? Is it merely a weapon to score points over an opponent? Or does it make a difference to my life and to your life? And what is that difference that it should make? This methodology of biblical, rational and practical follows the conviction of Christianity that there is such a thing as absolute truth. That there are answers to these big questions. And it's not a case of, you believe that, I'll believe this. You believe there's a God, but I don't feel there's a God. We must all live and let live. We believe there's a definite yes or no to the answers in these big questions. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer to these big questions. We believe that absolute truth is found In scripture, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, asked one day, what is truth? Jesus said to God, his father, one day, your word is truth. C.S. Lewis comments, if Christianity is untrue, then no honest man or woman will want to believe it however helpful it might be. But if it is true, every honest man and woman will want to believe it, even if it gives him or her no help at all. Fourthly, the defense of these talks. I want to address some misgivings you may have about apologetics. Why not just stick to the Bible, you might say? Why appeal to supporting arguments, evidence, and mention objections? Let me give you two reasons why we're doing this. Firstly, the command of Scripture in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 that we read, always being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The English word apologetics that I've used a few times here uh, comes from a Greek word translated here in this verse, defense. The word means a validation of one's position. The word is used to describe the defense of the apostle Paul in a Roman court in Acts 26 But in this verse, it is the defense of the beliefs of Christianity. 
Peter envisages Christians on trial by the world, having their beliefs questioned as happens today. Why are you a Christian? We must be prepared to give a defense of our beliefs. To be able to answer well why the resurrection of Jesus is true. Why the Bible is God's word. Why there is life after death. Quoting this verse, R.C. Sproul states, The defense of the faith is not a luxury or intellectual vanity. It is a task appointed by God. The apostle doesn't expect us to be able to answer every question that unbelievers have asked. Theologians in the Middle Ages, they debated how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. Other theologians and people have asked, can God make a square circle? Can he make a stone that's too heavy for him to lift? These are not the questions we're expected to be able to answer. Rather, as the verse says, it's about the hope that is in us. The hope of salvation in Jesus. The hope of reaching heaven after this life. The command of scripture. And secondly, the examples of scripture is a reason why we have this approach. There are examples in scripture of defending Christianity by argument. Luke in his writings gives a lot of space to the trials of Jesus and of Paul. The trials by Roman courts. Why does he do that? He's supporting the authenticity of the message of Paul and of Jesus by showing the integrity of the leaders of Christianity. We want to learn more doctrine, but he lingers over the character of the teachers to show the authenticity of what they teach. There are 20 sermons in the book of Acts Five by Peter, one by Stephen, 14 by Paul. The sermons comprise a fifth of the book of Acts. Eight of those sermons are apologetic, defending the faith, reasoning for the truth. Most of the New Testament letters were written to counter an error. John writes against Gnosticism. Paul writes against paganism. Hebrews is against Judaism. These are examples of defending Christianity. Thus, apologetics, defending the faith, giving a reason for your hope is a biblical practice. The writers were familiar with the worldviews in which they lived. Apologetics occurs right throughout the Bible. And you and I, if we're a Christian, should be capable of doing more than just quoting a Bible verse. We should be able to show how logical the position is and how illogical the view of our opponents are. We should know the big questions and have solid answers for them. And lastly, the application of this introductory talk to us. Let's be active. In these studies, we will need to use our minds We will need to travel through unfamiliar territory and meet unfamiliar terms. A major part in being able to defend anything is to know the opposing position. Not knowing the other view will result in us floundering in a conversation with our colleagues. So it's important to mention and to know the objections 
to our position. Let's be aware. If you think that no one in Newton Ards is asking these big questions and that it's only people in England or China who would dare to question the existence of God, you're very much mistaken. County Down recent polls have shown as a large proportion of those who adhere to atheism, you need to get out more. You need to open your mouth more about Jesus and these sermons are designed to equip you for what you will hear when you do that. Perhaps your own faith will be shaken at university or by some tragedy in your life or by some great disappointment and you will wonder if God exists or you'll be tempted to be a practical atheist and live as if there is no God in heaven. These answers will help you in that moment. Let's be flexible. In these talks, we'll be focusing on giving answers to big questions. But another method of response to those questions is to ask a question. Ulster people do this all the time. When we meet someone, we say, how are you? And our response usually is, you all right? We don't say him very well, thank you, thank you so much for asking me. But we reply to a question with a question. Jesus used this method of response sometimes. Like Andy Murray, aggressive on his response to the serve, putting his opponent on the back foot. They thought they had served up a winning ball, but you're making them come up with the answer. I don't believe in God, they say. You reply, well, why not? Let's be flexible in our approach. Let's be respectful. Let the manner of our replies be censorious. You listen attentively to these 10 talks. You fill up your new leather notebook with ideas and arguments. You buy up all the books that are mentioned on apologetics and read them, mark them, learn them, inwardly digest them. You're full of arguments and fresh reasons for defending your faith, and you blow out of the water the first person that asks one of these questions. But Peter in 3.15 says, we're to answer with gentleness and respect. However aggressive the questioner is, however belligerent, however dull they may be, Chris Sinkinson puts it well. Our aim is to win hearts, not arguments. Let's be motivated. Why bother with all this? Why give up your Sunday evening at the fire to come and sit down here? Why talk to others? Why invite others? Why be concerned about responding to answers to Christianity anyway? 3.15 says we do it. For the sake of Jesus, in your hearts, as we give a defense for the hope that is in us, we are honoring Christ the Lord. As we give our reasons, as we quote scripture, as we give our arguments, we are honoring Jesus, the leader of Christianity. One of the great changes in UK biblical scholarship in the 20th century was the return of evangelicals to academic study. For a time, biblical scholarship was left to the liberals 
They gave their arguments why the Bible was not true. And the church accepted those arguments and was blown off course. But change came. Young evangelicals for the honor of Christ in the arena of academia gained doctorates, university positions, and funded research to defend the faith. See the person on your bus who denies that the Bible is the word of God tomorrow morning. Take them on. Not just to win an argument, but in doing it, you'll be giving honor to Christ the Lord. Be dependent on the Holy Spirit as we witness. We cannot change people. The rich young ruler was given the ultimate answer by the greatest being in the universe. Saul of Tarsus sat under the apologetic sermon of Stephen and was unchanged. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts. John Calvin reasoned, we can provide proofs for big questions, but only the Holy Spirit can persuade people. Let's be relevant then. Answer the questions people are asking. What are the questions people are asking about Christianity today? We'll consider them. That's the point of 315. We respond to their questions. We want everybody to be asking, what must I do to be saved? But all people are not asking that. Not yet. Let's equip ourselves for the questions that are being asked by the multitudes. Men are accused of buying women gifts which men like. They miss the needs, the interests, the likes, the tastes of women. So we can amass knowledge about issues no one is asking about. But in this series, we'll equip ourselves to answer the big questions, the common, the popular, the most asked about questions about Christianity that are being asked in our society today.